Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And welcome to episode number 134 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Trapone, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And we're back with the next of our divisional draft recap shows, where we will break down the AFC North. We'll get into teams in specific shortly, but Tony, any major themes stand out to you in, in this division? Not really. Uh, I mean, when I looked at it, I think two teams, Cincinnati and Baltimore, did what everyone expected them to do, while, while I think Cleveland and Pittsburgh pulled some surprises, which we'll get into. We'll take a look first at the Cincinnati Bengals, who drafted first overall, and they drafted first overall in every single round. They went with LSU quarterback Joe Burrow with the top overall pick in what was really not a surprise to many people at all. Um, you know, this, this pick had been telegraphed for a while. I mean, obviously, Burrow had a massive season, won the Heisman Trophy. Um, he's, you know, a hometown Ohio kid. So the Bengals were never really in a spot to pass on him simply because the health of Tua Tagovailoa was enough of a question mark where, you know, you're not going to most likely take a guy like that, number one overall, who has all the talent in the world, arguably has more talent than Burrow, but there are major questions as to, you know, what Tua will be in the NFL and if he'll be able to remain on the field. Now, obviously, I know Tony is, um, you know, a Tua over Burrow guy. Um, Do you have any issues with the Burrow pick? Is it what you would have done in that spot? Yeah, no, I absolutely understand why the Bengals selected Burrow over Tua. You know, as I've, and I agree with you. I mean, I've had, I think Tua's a better passer than Burrow. It's something I said in the weeks leading to the draft. But Burrow makes the most sense for a variety of reasons. Primarily, you know, when you draft a quarterback, especially early, you want to get a guy who's on the upswing. You want to get a guy who is moving north. And Burrow, really, when you look at all the top quarterbacks, whether it be Tua, whether it be Herbert, whether it be Jordan Love, he was the guy that was absolutely moving north. You know, as I said, the brighter the light shone, the better Joe Burrow played. My only concern with Burrow is, I mean, he was a guy who really only did it for one year. Let's not forget, NFL scouts coming into the season graded Burrow as a sixth-round pick. He turns out to be the first pick of the draft. I've seen guys, especially at the quarterback position, make those huge jumps. Uh, but, you know, you've got to be – slightly concerned or at least it's got to be in the back of your mind you know let's hope that this guy isn't a one-year wonder yeah and I mean you know Baker Mayfield did the same thing a couple years ago he was a day three pick coming into the season had a big campaign not as big as Joe Burrow's campaign but you know propelled himself to being the number one overall pick and and really the jury is still out on Baker Mayfield so it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with Burrow there you mentioned that upward trajectory which is always what you want to see but at the same time if he were as highly regarded as Tua coming into the season he would have remained as stagnant as well so you know just because he started the season lower lower on the kind of rankings totem pole uh compared to somebody like Tua or Herbert or Jordan Love um you know obviously that helium is really you know come into his draft stock here but he took a lot of steps forward he still does need work if he's a finished product right now just like any passer really coming into the NFL if he's a finished product right now uh you know the Bengals might not be as happy with the pick as they are at this moment Bengals got to help him I mean they did they got a good receiver they 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 added some help at receiver they got to protect him uh he had a lot of really good talent playing around him at LSU it's going to be a different situation in Cincinnati 
Absolutely. And Antonio alluded to it here. The Bengals did draft a really good receiver to help out Joe Burrow with T Higgins going number 33 overall out of Clemson. And with the first pick in the third round, they added linebacker Logan Wilson out of Wyoming. Um, you know, when you look at these picks, I mean, obviously they needed to add some help at wide receiver. AJ Green's probably not going to be a Bengal much longer. Tyler Boyd is a good receiver, but he's more of a slot guy. They needed some help on the outside. They just declined John Ross's fifth year option. He's been more or less a bust since they drafted him in the top 10 several years ago in the draft. So Higgins comes in, kind of gives them a similar type of receiver to an AJ Green in terms of the size, the ability to win out in contested situations. And I do think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. I know he didn't work out at the combine. I know the pro day times weren't uh, glowing for T Higgins, but I think he plays more athletic on the field than he tested out. And I think he'll just be a guy that Joe Burrow can grow with. Little Logan Wilson pick. I mean, you know, this is a guy when we went to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Uh, he was one of the better linebackers there. You know, everyone knew he was a tackling machine coming in. Obviously, he did very well at the combine the following month to prove that he was a good athlete too. But I mean, he showed comfortability in space. He was able to cover. He was able to scrape. I mean, he's really a complete linebacker and and a guy who you know definitely shot up draft boards throughout the pre-draft process and you know, arguably could have gone even a little bit higher than the Bengals ended up getting him. You know, T. Higgins is a big body receiver who's going to go up and went out for the contested throws, and, and that's what Joe Burrow needs because especially if you look at his downfield passing, receivers are consistently getting up to come away with the uh, difficult catch. I agree with you. He's much more athletic uh, than given credit for. He plays faster. Uh, he's a solid vertical threat, although he's not a true vertical receiver. And, you know, <laughs> they're going to need help. You, you, like I said, you, you, you want to put uh, good talent around Joe Burrow that's exactly what they did. Uh, I was impressed with not only Logan Wilson around three, but Akeem Davis Gaither in the fourth round. Cincinnati came into the draft with big needs at linebacker. And with those two guys, they have basically just remodeled their whole linebacker uh, uh, unit. I think these are guys who are go both going to be starting by the end of their rookie season, ass assuming that Akeem Davis Gaither is healthy, that his foot's okay. Logan Wilson is a tough, intense, intelligent, in-the-box, sideline-to-sideline uh, linebacker who also doesn't do a bad job getting depth uh, on his pass drops, where Akeem Davis Gaither is basically a, a safety playing linebacker. He's got safety size, and he's what the league wants these days, uh, the, the smaller run-and-chase linebacker who gets from point A to point B as quickly as possible, covers a lot of area on the field, very explosive. Davis Gaither probably would have gone higher, but as I had reported uh, at, from the combine, he, had an, he suffered an injury at the uh, senior ball to his foot. They had to put a screw in, and that was it. He couldn't work out. So, obviously, he's got to get back to health. Uh, and if he does, with those two selections, the, uh, the Bengals just remade their entire live banking core. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals linebackers were bad last year. They lost Nick Vigil, who was arguably their best linebacker. Uh, so now they bring in these two guys, combine them with uh, last year's draft pick, Jermaine Pratt. And you have, you know, what you think is going to be your three linebacker set. Moving forward, uh, the Bengals did make an extra three picks, one in each of the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds, number one overall in each round. They drafted Khalid Kareem out of Notre Dame, Hakeem Adeniji out of Kansas, and Marcus Bailey out of Purdue. And I mean, all of these guys came at, at really nice value. Adeniji was another senior bowl guy, uh, you know, good athlete. He's a little bit raw, but you take him at pick 180 in the sixth round and, and you have a guy that has upside and potential to be an NFL starter. Maybe he never reaches it, but if he does, that's a heck of a pick. Khalid Kareem, I mean, he's on a loaded defense at Notre Dame, didn't get as much attention as his teammate Julian Aquara, but another productive player, a guy who can really come in and at the very least, 
provide a presence in sub packages and, and Marcus Bailey, the linebacker from Purdue, just, you know, injuries really ruined his draft stock. I mean, this is a guy who had a lot of opportunity to be a higher pick, but again, injury questions, kind of like we were talking about with, with Davis Gaither and, and even Tagovailo when we were having the pro discussion, but you know, if Marcus Bailey is able to stay on the football field, that's another great pick for Cincinnati. Which of these three, Tony, would you say is, is kind of your favorite guy? It's probably Edeniji uh, because he's athletic. He's got upside college left tackle who projects to guard at the next level. Uh, I know that uh, Billy Price has been a bit disappointing, although Billy Price's center has also been listed at guard because he really hasn't, uh, uh, hasn't done the job at center. I think Edeniji is a guy could basically be used as his own blocker. Uh, like you said, I, I mean, if you hit on him, you hit on a six-round pick. If not, it's worth a roll of the dice. Khalid Kareem, as you said, really didn't get the credit he was due, but he's a playmaker. He's a terrific fit for that uh, Cincinnati system. Marcus Bailey coming into the season was graded as a second-day pick by scouts. He was graded as the top in, inside linebacker, had that, knee, in, had that knee injury, sat on the sidelines, but he is a stout, tough, explosive, two-down defender. And again, if he's healthy, like I said with Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither, the Bengals completely remade their linebacker unit in this one draft. Absolutely. And really good job by the Bengals there and just adding talent. I do wish they added some offensive linemen, a little more help for Joe Burrow, because that is a bad offensive line, even getting Jonah Williams back. But, you know, again, that's just more of a little nitpick here. Now, while the Bengals did an excellent job during the seven rounds of the draft, they also added a couple interesting undrafted free agents afterwards. Scotty Washington, the wide receiver out of Wake Forest, great size. This guy who's going to make some spectacular catches, went out in contested situations. Definitely not the best athlete in the world, but a guy you could probably stick at the bottom of the roster if he makes the team. If not, there is some developmental upside for him to be on the practice squad. And Mitchell Wilcox, the tight end out of South Florida, a guy that many people outside of the NFL, media and, and people like that, were very high on entering the season. They had him as a day two pick. He just never really took a step forward this year. He was always graded a bit lower by scouts heading into the season. Uh, you know, a decent value as an undrafted guy, a guy that does have some intrigue, but a guy that was always kind of overhyped in most circles. Yeah, I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell Wilcox is the only guy that's impressive from this list, and he himself isn't even that impressive because basically what you got is you got a number three tight end, which is okay. If you come out of the uh, undrafted free agent portion with a number three tight end, you did pretty good. Tyler Clark, somebody to keep an eye on. There were some teams that had it as early as a fourth-round grade on Tyler Clark. He just never really impressed me. All these guys uh, we've got uh, scouting reports on over at uh, Pro Football Network. Devin Whaley, who looked really good as the running back from Arkansas, looked really good as a junior, just really didn't step it up last year, had a, uh, just over 300 yards rushing. Jo Josh Niffel of uh, Iowa State, Kendall Fultrell, East Carolina, Marcel Spears of Iowa State. I, I mean, these guys, Trey Dishon of, of Kansas State, these guys, in my opinion, are fringe practice squad uh, prospects. So except for Mitchell Wilcox, uh, I, I don't think the, uh, the Bengals really did themselves any favors in the UDFA department. And we'll be back shortly to look at the division's remaining draft halls after this word from our sponsor. Live sporting events may be a reality within the next two to three months, but in the meantime, we've still got your wagering options covered. While you're waiting and waiting and waiting this out <laughs> at home with us, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. With no NBA, NHL, or MLB, 
you might think there's nothing to bet on, but Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. Now, sports aren't totally done. You just might have to stretch the definition a little bit. There's still esports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, and Bet Online's $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, they're still fun to be had, or so they tell me. So go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Now, next up on the draft order here is the Cleveland Browns, who did address their need at tackle in the first round at number 10 overall, taking Alabama tackle Jedrick Wills. They took him over both Makai Becton, who went 11th to the Jets, and over Tristan Wirfs, who went 12th to the Buccaneers after Tampa Bay traded up to secure Wirfs. And after bringing Jack Conklin in in the offseason, who's going to anchor the right side, Cleveland is really banking on Wills to make it at left tackle. A lot of people do think he might end up moving inside to guard eventually, but Cleveland's definitely going to give him a shot on the outside. He has the athleticism to be able to hold down that position if he develops a little further. Again, kind of a high floor, though. If he misses that left tackle, you do get a guy who should be a good guard, but a guy you wouldn't have taken at number 10 overall if you thought he was a long-term guard. But, you know, Cleveland obviously had Wills as at least their number two tackle in this draft. If not their number one tackle, we don't know what they thought of Andrew Thomas, but they like Wills better than both Becton and Tristan Wirfs. Tony, what are your thoughts on the pick? Risky pick. I mean, you know, the week before the draft, Jedrick Wills' Wonderlick score was uh, announced uh, or, or basically filtered its way out onto the internet. And I was privy to that information at the Combine which is why I said that teams were worried about his ability to absorb, you know, a complex blocking scheme. And some teams were considering him at offensive guard, obviously not the Cleveland Browns, but it, there's a lot more that goes into uh, moving from right tackle to left tackle than just the stance. And I have a lot of concerns as to whether or not Jedrick Wills is going to be able to hold up at left tackle for a variety of reasons. And, and you know, I thought Mickey Becton, who I think is, Still more of a right tackle, would have been a better fit at left tackle, as would have been Tristan Warp. So I like all of the uh, – I like the Browns' overall draft. I just have my questions as to whether Jedrick Wills is going to hold up and be able to really be a good left tackle at the next level, which is what the Browns desperately need. They definitely do need that, so we'll see if that ends up working out for them. In the second round, what worked out for the Browns here is the second straight year that they drafted an LSU defensive back who was kind of perceived as falling on draft day. Last year it was Greedy Williams. This year it was safety Grant Delpit, who, you know, if you turn on his sophomore film and watch what he did then, I mean, he was outstanding early in his career. People were talking about him as a potential top 10 pick, which, as we know, you know, a lot of safeties don't go up there. That's, you know, reserved for the elite of the elite and people considered Grant Delpit at that level at one point didn't really pan out as much of his senior season fell off a little, had some issues tackling, missed a lot of tackles, wasn't in the right spots a lot of the time, but at pick 44, I mean, this is a guy who he's a very good athlete. He's shown the ability to not only play center field, not only showed some ball skills. He had a ton of interceptions early in his career as well, but he's also shown the ability to be a big hitter. If he can clean up, some of that tackling efficiency. I mean, the Browns are going to be very happy with that pick, just like they were very happy with the Greedy Williams selection last year. I think this is a home run. As much as I have my questions that about Jedrick Wills 
moving to left tackle. That's how confident I am that Grant Delpit's going to be a terrific safety in the NFL. I mean, he's one of the best cover safeties in this draft. Uh, there were quite concerns about his speed. We'll never know, although he did run a video timed 4.47, and I know that that's a legitimate time. The concerns about his tackling, okay, that can be coached. He's a guy who goes sideline to sideline. He's tough against the run. Terrific ball skills. I think the Browns, like they did last year with Greedy Williams, I think they hit another home run here with Grant Delpit. And, and Tony, I know you feel the same way about their next pick, Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle out of Missouri that the Browns scooped up at number 88. Overall, nine picks later, Cleveland picked up Jacob Phillips, linebacker out of, out of LSU, who coming into the season, everyone thought that was the guy that was going to kind of step up for Devin White. Um, you know, the guy who was going to take over in that LSU defense and possibly, you know, turn himself into an early day two pick. Didn't quite happen like that because Patrick Queen is the guy that kind of took over that role. I mean, you couldn't watch an LSU game and not notice what Patrick Queen was doing out there. Obviously, he ended up being a first round pick. Phillips falls to the late third round. But I think that's a solid value pick for a guy who he's a good athlete. He can get around the field. Maybe he doesn't have the same um, you know, production as Queen, but there's a lot of upside in Jacob Phillips. So I like that pick for the Browns who kind of continue to add to their linebackers after taking both Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki last year. Uh, both of these selections were terrific. I mean, Jordan Elliott, uh, Sheldon Richardson is very replaceable. He had some good uh, campaigns early on with the Jets. He's bounced around. Jordan Elliott is an explosive guy. He's got terrific size. He's impossible to move off the point. He's got a great amount of upside. I thought he was second-round value. The Browns got him in round three. I've always been a big fan of Jacob Phillips. You know, he's the kind of re the replacement for Christian Kirksey, who they they uh, they cut. I think he is a, you know, a, a traditional four-three outside linebacker, and the Browns play a four-three. He is your run-and-chase linebacker, your undersized guy who gets from point A to point B as quickly as possible, covers a lot of area on the field. He's got good cover skills, pedaling in reverse. I thought both of these picks were outstanding selections in round three for the Browns. I mean, we kind of have a theme here with Cleveland's draft after the Jedrick Wills pick, which we both kind of have our concerns about, especially with the other two tackles on the board. But Cleveland did have three picks on the third day of the draft. In the fourth round, they went with Florida Atlantic tight end Harrison Bryant. In the fifth round, Washington center Nick Harris was the pick. And then Michigan wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones in round six. Uh, the Bryant pick was kind of a bit of a head scratcher um, in terms of their team. They just signed Austin Hooper to a big contract. They still have David Njoku there, although it seems like he's kind of on his way out. And we do know that tight ends take some time to develop in the NFL. So maybe Cleveland says, okay, you know, we want a second tight end. We're going to let Harrison Bryant develop as the number three. David Njoku will move on, and then he'll be the backup behind Austin Hooper. But at the same time, that's a crowded tight end room. Harrison Bryant's a good player. It's not that this pick was bad value, but it was just surprising based on some other needs around their roster and, and what they have at tight end, one of their deeper positions. Nick Harris fell a little bit further than I think a lot of people thought, but you know he's a guy who can move around well, a decent fit in his own blocking system. So we'll see if Cleveland can get value out of that pick. My favorite of these three, though, is Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, at 187 overall. I mean, yes, he didn't produce in college. There were a lot of issues with that Michigan passing game as a whole, as we've discussed in the past when talking about Shea Patterson and you know his decision to move on from Old Miss and go to play for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. But Donovan Peoples-Jones, just a highly touted recruit, never really, as I said, produced on the field, but blew up the combine, 
a guy that, you know, he's right now, he's more athleticism and raw traits than he is receiver. But you get a guy like that in the sixth round, if you can groom him and he can learn things from Jarvis Landry, he can learn things from Odell Beckham Jr. Just by watching, even if, you know, he's not learning directly from them and taking advice. Um, this is a, a great flyer for the Browns to take. And, you know, if he can become a part of their three wide receiver sets, that pick's going to look like an absolute steal in a couple seasons. Yeah, I, I like the Harrison Bryant pick for a couple of reasons. The Browns often line up two tight ends. Uh, he's an athletic guy. He's got a good amount of upside. And like you said, Njoku's likely on his way out. There was talk that they were going to try and trade him for the draft. That never came to fruition. But, uh, you know, Harrison Bryant's got to improve his blocking. But he's a terrific pass catcher. And he's he's an agile guy, which is what you want. You want a, uh, a tight end that can easily move around the field with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback, which is part of the reason why they gave uh, Austin Hooper such a huge contract in free agency. Nick Harris, uh, I, I mean – Nick Harris was projected by some teams to go as early as the third round. They have a solid interior offensive line there with Shredder at center, Batonio and Wyatt Teller at guards. But I think Nick Harris, where he was selected, is going to be a very good backup center, a guy who could also fill in at guard on occasion. I agree with you. I was never big on Donovan Peoples-Jones. People were talking second day. I always had him as a fourth-round selection. To get him in the sixth round is good value. He's got a great amount of upside. He's just got to learn to start to produce on the field and really transition those athletic skills into football ability. And speaking of great value for the Browns, I mean, one of their UDFA signings and a guy they gave a, a really big signing bonus um, as a result of this is A.J. Green, the cornerback out of Oklahoma State. I mean, Tony, he was on your board, I believe, as a fourth rounder. You know, this is a guy that could have gone early on day three, ends up falling completely out of the draft. I'm not sure if you have any insight on exactly why, but you know, he's a really good football player. And the Browns are absolutely going to be happy with signing him. He should make the roster, I would think. And and just really have a chance to make an impact for them. You know, the other UDFA of note is Alex Taylor, offensive tackle from South Carolina State, guy who was at the Senior Bowl. Did have his struggles there. He's about six foot eight, so he's big. You know, he's a bit of a plotter. But in the end, you know, even if he can't get out to cover the edge, this is a guy who does have developmental upside, even if it's purely theoretical at this point. A worthwhile UDFA flyer, even if you know, again, he doesn't really amount to anything in the league. You know, I've done a lot of snooping around about A.J. Green, and, and I've never, I haven't gotten a concrete answer as to why he fell out of the draft. I, I was told there weren't, weren't any issues uh, at Oklahoma State. Uh, everything that people have told me point to the fact that, you know, teams were just very turned off by his combine workout. I, I, he ran terribly. He just didn't work out very well. He did run better uh, at Pro Day, but I think what happens is with a guy like that, you want to bring him in. You want to do individual workouts with him, and, and that never came to fruition for A.J. Green, which is why I, I think he fell out of the uh, draft. And, you know, this was a great signing by the Browns, which is why they gave him such a huge signing bonus. Some of the other guys, Jamarcus Bradley, the receiver from Louisiana Lafayette, I thought was a terrific signing. Javante Moffitt of uh, Middle Tennessee, a real – he's basically the strong safety uh, compared to the, uh, the potential free safety that Grant Delpit is. One of the more interesting signings has got to be the Princeton quarterback, Kevin Davidson. He's a big arm guy. He's a developmental guy. We spoke about him during the season. I wrote about him uh, as a small school sleeper last October, I believe it was, at Pro Football Network. He's more of your big classic pocket passer with a huge arm. He showed some terrific accuracy early in the season. He kind of tailed off late, but he was only a one-year starter. Uh, I think the ironic thing is, is he's basically the antithesis 
to Baker Mayfield, who runs around like a chicken with no head and, you know, creates yardage with his, with his feet. He's a little bit different from Case Keenum. He's not what the Browns have had, you know, or have in, in Baker Mayfield. But still, uh, he's a terrific developmental prospect. Uh, a lot of people thought, including myself, he was going to be a late-round pick. He falls out of, uh, falls out of the uh, draft, and uh, the Browns scoop him up. Absolutely. And we're going to head into Baltimore to break down the Ravens draft and the Steelers afterwards in just a moment after this quick break. And we're back here to take a look at what the Ravens did. And like they do every year, the Ravens just had an excellent draft, did a, did a really nice job. In the first round, they ended up with Patrick Queen, the linebacker out of LSU. Now, I know Tony is not quite as high on Patrick Queen as a lot of people, um, you know, probably wouldn't have selected him in the first round if it were his team that he was running. But you know, the Ravens obviously saw something that they liked in Queen. He's a good athlete. He's a bit small. He's about 230 pounds. Um, so that could hinder him a bit at the NFL level. This year, he was a first-year starter, too, so the experience isn't quite there. He is a bit raw in a lot of ways, but there is some upside in Patrick Queen. Um, I, I can see why the Ravens decided to take a linebacker with this pick in terms of filling out their depth chart a little bit, and Kenneth Murray was off the board, so Patrick Queen was kind of the next guy up in this situation. Um, you know, I don't love the pick, but I definitely don't dislike the pick. I think the Ravens got a, a pretty solid player and um, you know, someone who can definitely help impact their roster moving forward. Yeah, I, again, I, I was never big on Queen, but this was one of those mock draft picks that when you put it, you, you uh, wrote him next to the Baltimore Ravens, you knew you had a 99% chance of being right. I think he's a good uh, system fit. He's very explosive, makes a lot of plays, sideline to sideline, fires up the field, filling gaps, really good against the run, has got to improve his playing coverage. Obviously, a guy who really just did it for one year. Again, you, you know, it's a real good uh, system fit for the Ravens at a position of need. And round two, they got one of my favorite backs in J.K. Dobbins. And I, I thought this was a sensational pick. I thought this was great value. J.K. Dobbins is not the fastest. But when you look at all the top four backs in this year's draft, as far as I'm concerned, he's the most complete. He's not, not, the, he's not a true perimeter runner, but he can turn the corner. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he runs hard on the inside. Terrific pass catcher out of the backfield, sensational blocker. So I think with an aging Mark Ingram on the roster, I thought J.K. Dobbins was a great selection and was good value late in round two. I mean, you want to talk about great system fits and, and Patrick Queen, Queen really fitting. I mean, J.K. Dobbins is a guy who really thrived on RPOs at Ohio State. Um, you know, struggled a bit with Dwayne Haskins under center because Haskins wasn't a rushing threat. But you plug Justin Fields in and boom, Dobbins takes off again, you know, has a big final season after he kind of slumped the year before and now he goes from Justin Fields to Lamar Jackson the ultimate rushing threat at quarterback I mean good luck to defenses trying to stop those two and not letting Marquise Brown and some of the other receivers that the Ravens added in the last two drafts to get behind him I mean just speed speed and more speed on offense not necessarily with Dobbins but just everything around him the Ravens are really building a dangerous dangerous offense around Lamar Jackson they did go back to the defensive side of the ball with their next pick in the third round. They actually had four third-round picks. I will start, though, with Justin Matahuki, the defensive tackle out of Texas A&M, a guy who also could have gone a bit earlier in this draft. I feel like a lot of the defensive tackles fell a little bit. We talked about that with Jordan Elliott before, but Matahuki, really good athlete, guy who can create disruption and penetrate the line of scrimmage. Tony, what are your thoughts on, on Matabuki and some of the other guys that Baltimore ended up selecting in the third round? 
Yeah, a good value. There was some concerns about his character. He's very explosive. What I'm going to be interested to see is how Baltimore uses him because they play a three-man front, although it's more one-gap sort of principles because their rush linebackers lined up uh, at the line of scrimmage for the most part. And Matabuke is more of your three-technique tackle, which is usually a, a place that's uh, reserved for four-man lines. Now, Matabuke is quick. He's explosive. He's got great first step off the snap. He plays with terrific pad level. He's not the strongest guy in the world. So it'll be interesting to me to see how they use him uh, in that system. They answered their or their question at receiver. Or they, I should say they hope they answered their question at receiver, taking Devin DuVernay uh, in the third round, their second pick in that frame. Uh, DuVernay outplayed Colin Johnson this season, even though he was graded three rounds lower than Colin Johnson before the 2019 campaign began. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's fast. He plays fast. He ran fast at the combine. He shows himself to be a, a, a big play receiver. And he's also got return ability. So I think in Devin DuVernay, maybe a slot guy, maybe a guy that is probably going to start off as your fourth receiver, but in time could be a number three receiver at the next level, maybe even a number two. Absolutely. I mean, you know, adding Devin DuVernay, I mentioned the speed on offense that, you know, now with Mark Ingram in the final year of his contract, J.K. Dobbins, he'll play a lot this year. He'll get more work next year. And then you're going to have to worry about both Marquise Brown and Devin DuVernay getting behind you. Miles Boykin's pretty fast as well. So, I mean, the Ravens just have done a, a good job adding playmakers around Lamar Jackson. Uh, they selected Ohio State linebacker Malik Harrison, Mississippi State guard Tyree Phillips, and Michigan guard Ben Bredesen addressed the offensive line a little bit there. But Malik Harrison, guy who was at the Senior Bowl, more of a two-down linebacker than some of the other guys we've discussed. Not a bad athlete, but just not a guy who's going to excel in coverage, but plays physical football, um, definitely has that kind of Baltimore mentality to him. So this was another guy, you know, you talked about Patrick Queen being a guy that you could write into mock drafts at number 28. Malik Harrison is a guy that if, you know, you were going that deep in a mock draft, you absolutely could have envisioned him in a Baltimore uniform. And then the two guards they added, Phillips and Bredesen. Um, I'll let Tony talk about Phillips a little bit. Um, I, I like Bredesen a lot, especially getting him 37 picks after Tyree Phillips. Um, you know, he's the, the, was the better of the two Michigan guards that came out, him and Michael Onwenu. Uh, just a guy powerful in the run game, really can move people, but not a bad athlete either. A guy who can move around a little bit as well. So there's not really any huge holes in his game. I mean, you know, the Ravens here, seven picks in the top 150 of the draft. It's hard to go wrong, and, and they really didn't with a lot of their picks. Yeah, I'm going to disagree about Malik Harris in the sense that he is actually a decent athlete. The problem with him is, you're right, he's a two-down defender. He never showed a developed game. And he's very good in the box or up the field, but he really struggles making plays in reverse, which he shouldn't. Coming into the season, he was great as a potential top 45 pick by scouts, but he never showed any progress in his game, which is why the Browns were able, I'm sorry, the Ravens were able to scoop him up uh, as uh, the third round closed out. So it's a terrific uh, selection by him. It's just a matter of developing Malik Harrison and getting him to progress to become a three down defender. Tyree Phillips played tackle at Mississippi State. Teams love his girth. I'm concerned about his girth because he gets way too big at times and he gets a little bit sloppy. If he gets down in weight under 320 pounds, he could be a heck of a guard at the next level, but it's a matter of him really doing the proper things off the field so he can be a better player on the field. I agree with you about Ben Bredesen. Probably not the athlete of Tyree Phillips. Doesn't have the upside, but more of a sure thing. 
a smart, tough, slug it out, small area guard, not the greatest athlete in the world, but a typical Michigan offensive lineman and that you know what you're getting with him. Broderick Washington was an interesting selection around five because Broderick Washington is very much the same type of player uh, that Justin Matabuke is, although he's a little bit taller. And when I say the same player, he's very explosive. He's got a great first step off the snap, but he's got to improve his playing strength at the point, and he's, he's got to learn to get off blocks. And again, like Matabuki, he's more of a three-technique tackle, so it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens use Washington. Absolutely, and with their two final picks in this year's draft, they took James Prochet, sixth round, 201 overall, the wide receiver out of SMU, and Geno Stone, the Iowa safety, in round seven. So I said all these teams didn't have seven picks. I lied. Baltimore did end up having 10 picks now, Prochet was a guy who gained a good amount of steam in the pre-draft process, very productive at SMU, typical slot guy, quicker than fast. He's a little bit small, but catches everything thrown his way. And just another addition in terms of depth for the wide receivers, you know, we mentioned Marquise Brown, we mentioned Devin Duvernay, we mentioned Miles Boykin. Now you have James Prochet, who doesn't really play like any of those guys. He's just the underneath receiver who's going to be a reliable safety valve. And with those four, I mean, the Ravens, do have a lot of different skill sets. Miles Boykin's a little bit bigger. Marquise Brown is tiny but super fast. Devin DuVernay is kind of in between. So the Ravens have a lot of good complementary players in their receiver group. And Geno Stone, I mean, this was an excellent seventh-round pick, a guy that I don't think a lot of people expected to still be around in round seven. So the Ravens continue to do what they do every year, which is add picks, add value with their picks. And this is why they are such a consistently good football team year in and year out. I'll be surprised if Prochet doesn't make the active roster. I really will because he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's someone who's a real good uh, receiver, sort of like Willie Sneed was when he came out of uh, Ball State. And Willie Sneed's done, the, uh, done quite well for himself. Uh, Prochet is just a terrific football player. I think you can line him up in the slot. I think you use him as a, uh, as a punt returner, uh, and he's very dependable. Stone, I'm not as high on Stone as you are, but – you know, he is what he is. He is a, an explosive downhill safety that in a 3-4 will also get consideration as sort of a smaller outside linebacker. Um, but, you know, again, sort of like Prochet, you know what you're getting with him. He does have some limitations, but what Stone does, he does very well. And that's defending the run and basically intimidating opponents. Now, not only did Baltimore have a good draft, they also signed several impact players or potential impact players, I should say, after the draft. Um, you know, an interesting pickup, a guy we talked about a lot on this podcast throughout the season was Utah quarterback Tyler Huntley. And if there were a team that he's going to fit on, it is this Baltimore Ravens team just with the offense they run. You know, he's a bit inconsistent as a passer, has some games where he just lights it on fire, has some games where he is just kind of like lost and missing throws all over the place. But he's a really good athlete. He's got the arm to push the ball downfield, just needs a little bit of development. But for what Baltimore needs in a quarterback, I mean, in RG3 as a backup, Tyler Huntley as a potential practice squad guy, there's a consistent theme on their roster behind Lamar Jackson. And he's a guy that absolutely fits that theme. Uh, Jacob Breeland, the tight end out of Oregon, guy who Ended, had his season end due to injury a little bit earlier when he was building some draft momentum, a guy that, you know, could have gone on day three most likely if he ends up staying healthy throughout the whole season. So Baltimore gets a steal here, willing to kind of roll the dice on a guy who didn't get the finish of the year, doesn't have a huge body of work, but does have good talent. Well, you want to talk about perfect fits. I mean, Bronson Reichsteiner of uh, Kennesaw State, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think that the Ravens are, gonna, are looking to get rid of Patrick Ricard. 
Uh, but he's very much like Patrick Ricard in that he's explosive. He's nasty. He's incredibly quick. Ricard, who came out of, uh, I believe it was Maine, as, as a defensive tackle, uh, played fullback and has been lined up all over the field. Reichsteiner has got that sort of athleticism where, you know, he's a fullback that can play special teams and he could probably even play some linebacker if you need him to. You could play him all over the place. He's, he's, he's that athletic. He's that tough. He's that heady. So uh, I think that was an outstanding fit. But Josh Nurse was a real good pickup, uh, the cornerback from Utah. A lot of people thought he could slide into the late rounds. Sean Pollard, it may be tough for Sean Pollard to make it, but it may also be tough to cut Sean Pollard because uh, Clemson lineman, he's played tackle, he's played guard, he's played center. He's one of those guys that can make it as an eighth offensive lineman because he's just got so much versatility. And you can basically line him up at any of the spot, any spot on the uh, offensive line in a pinch in case your starter goes down. One interesting guy to keep an eye on is Nigel Warrior of Tennessee, someone who uh, I was bombarded by people who told me at the combine he was going to get drafted, he was going to get drafted. The tape just never said a uh, guy who was going to get drafted. But he's very athletic. He's someone who's had a troubled past. He's got some character issues. But when focused on the football field, uh, he's a productive player. I don't know that Nigel Warrior is going to make the active roster for the, uh, for, uh, the Ravens. I could, I, I could absolutely see him being a practice squad player. And we'll move on to the final team in the division here, the only team that did not have a first-round pick, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who traded that first-round pick to Miami for Minka Fitzpatrick, a trade that was really widely panned at the time because Pittsburgh had just lost Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, people didn't have high hopes for their season, but they ended up having a pretty good season, which salvaged this pick not being you know, a top seven or eight pick. Um, Mika Fitzpatrick was also outstanding when he came to Pittsburgh. So, you know, that has proven to be a good trade for several reasons. For the Steelers, with their second-round pick, they drafted Notre Dame wide receiver Chase Claypool and their other pick on day two later in the third round, Charlotte edge rusher Alex Highsmith. Now Claypool is a guy, you know, we've discussed as, you know, a player that many people looked at as tight end. The Steelers do see him as a wide receiver. They are going to play him most likely on the outside. So, you know, they're going to give him a chance to win at the receiver position. I mean, he's a guy, listen, he's going to get contested passes in the air. He obviously killed the combine with athleticism. Doesn't quite play to that on the field. You do see some flashes when he has the ball in his hands of that level of athleticism on underneath routes and things like that. But he does need to kind of pull that all together. I think there's a lot of work to be done with Chase Claypool. I don't think I would have taken him over Denzel Mims, who went to the Jets about 10 picks later. Um, but, you know, this was about where everyone expected Chase Claypool to go. When you look at Alex Highsmith, he went earlier than I think a lot of people expected him to go. Um, everyone was talking about him as a potential day three pick. A lot of people liked him as a value sleeper on day three. He goes here at the end of the third round, which for me is about the right spot for a guy with his level of production and what he can bring to the football team as an edge rusher. I mean, a guy who has this kind of potential probably should not fall to day three. So I thought that was a good pick by the Steelers to pick up Highsmith before the second day was out. Well, I think of both Claypool and Highsmith, the Steelers got players at positions that they have historically been able to develop. And they filled needs. Now, I would have taken J.K. Dobbins over Chase Claypool, especially with the need at running back for the Steelers. But, you know, when you compare the two, Dobbins is more the short thing where Claypool has a much higher upside just because of his athleticism, because of his, his combine numbers. It's just a matter of getting him to play to those combine numbers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have been able to develop receivers. So there's no reason – and basically – pull guys out of nowhere and, and get them to produce. So there's no reason to think that they won't be able to get Chase Claypool 
to play to his uppermost limit. Same thing with Alex Highsmith. I agree. I had Highsmith as a last day pick, but it's a good fit for a franchise that knows how to uh, develop the position. Highsmith has got uh, a high upside. He was a terror at the Shrine game practices. He worked out well at the Combine. So I, I think that, uh, you know, Highsmith was a terrific pick. They answered the need at, at running back with Anthony McFarland, the first of two fourth-round choices. I think it's an outstanding fit for Pittsburgh. I think he's basically brings what James Conner and Jalen Samuels doesn't have the speed to turn the corner, to be a perimeter runner, an outstanding pass catcher, a guy that is very effective in space. Even when you look at Benny Snell, I was glad to see McFarland be selected this high. People follow me. They know I wrote the story that all the, uh, the allegations, or I shouldn't say all, it was one allegation by an anonymous uh, scout that said uh, McFarland had horrendous or atrocious football character. Just found that it wasn't true, and and I got I was quoted by his running back coach at Maryland, who's known him since his high school days. said said it wasn't uh, none of it was true. It, it was absolutely false. And I think the fact that the Steelers took McFarland where they did in the fourth round proves that those allegations were false. So I was happy to see that for McFarland. Yeah, and I mean McFarland's a guy who obviously had some injury issues this season. I mean, if you turn on the 2018 film, I mean, this is an explosive player. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He looks small, but he's 208 pounds. I mean, he's not that small. So you add him to the backfield here, and you get kind of an explosive asset that, as you mentioned, Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, and James Conner, they just aren't that guy. I thought this was a very good value pick, and I feel like if he stayed healthy, he probably goes later on the second day rather than in the middle of round four. Speaking of round four, Kevin Dotson, the guard out of Louisiana, the first player that was not invited to the combine that got drafted this year at number 135. Overall, the Steelers adding a little bit on their interior offensive line. They didn't have a fifth round pick, but in the sixth and seventh rounds, they added Maryland safety Antoine Brooks Jr. and Nebraska defensive lineman Carlos Davis, friend of the podcast who we had on over the summer, um, you know, ended up getting drafted a bit later than his brother Khalil, but I was glad to see them both drafted. And in the end, I mean, you know, they are both excellent athletes. You know, Carlos went through the discus in track and field. Um, him, him and Tony had a spirited uh, conversation about their track backgrounds over the summer. Definitely go back and listen to that podcast. If you're interested in finding out more about Carlos Davis, I'm um, just a guy who is a good athlete, a guy who bounced around different positions at Nebraska. So he does have to kind of prove, he has to settle into one spot and prove that he can translate that athleticism, but definite worthwhile flyer in the seventh round, whereas Antron Brooks, not the same level of athlete, relatively speaking, as a guy like Carlos Davis, but just a very good football player, very productive, has good ball skills. I, I know Tony has talked a lot about the comparison and the difference between him and Darnell Savage, who was a first-round pick in Green Bay last year. Brooks just isn't the same level of athlete, so kind of contrasting third-day picks there or late-day three picks there for Pittsburgh, but both guys that can fill nice role on this team and, and came at pretty good value. Yeah, Dotson was interesting. I think Dotson went a, a bit earlier than I thought. I thought he should have gone later in day uh, three. He is a, a developmental type of guard. He's someone who, you know, in, in the long run, may be able to place, uh, replace uh, Stefan Wisniewski. Uh, we'll see what happens. He does have an upside. Uh, I was very happy with Antoine Brooks, as you said. I like his ball skills. I like his overall game. And as we said time and time again, with more and more teams putting three uh, safeties on the field, I think it was a good selection. They do have Marcus Allen there, so Antoine Brooks could potentially make it as a fourth safety if they uh, if they choose to keep, keep four safeties. 
Carlos Davis, we'll see. I was glad to see him get selected. As you said, we had him on the uh, podcast last summer, and he was he was a revealing guy. I, I mean, uh, again, uh, you should go back and listen to that. My concern is, you know, go back to what I said with the Ravens picks of a guy like Matabuki. Uh, Carlos Davis is more of a three-technique tackle. He admitted that to us during the podcast. He said that the three-technique spot, was really the best place for him. And that's where he flourished as a sophomore at Nebraska. Next year, they moved him to nose tackle, and he, he got uh, destroyed as a junior. And even last year, they moved him to end in a three-man front, and he struggled. So I, I don't know about the fit. I know, I know the player's really good, but I think he's, he's more of a three-technique tackle. Now, looking at what Pittsburgh did after the draft, and honestly, it wasn't that much. Um, they didn't add any guy that really stands out. You know, a couple big names that they picked up, Josiah Coatney out of Mississippi, who was at the senior bowl, um, didn't really stand out there. Just kind of a, just kind of another guy. I'm not sure he ends up making the roster. John Houston out of USC, kind of a small, you know, run and chase type of speedy linebacker that Tony was talking about before, but he was a solid player at the college level, just never stood out, never really flashed much. You know, a guy who can probably provide solid special teams value, but I don't really see him as even a backup linebacker at the NFL level. Tony, outside of these two guys, or even including them, anybody of intrigue to you in Pittsburgh's undrafted class? Two players. Trajan Bandy of Miami, the cornerback, who I think absolutely could make it as a dimeback. He's uh, someone who, coming into the season, had a third-round grade on him, didn't play as well as I expected, like a lot of Miami players didn't, so he kind of fell off uh, the board. But still, at the top of his game, you know, they got Joe Hayden there. They, got, they, they drafted uh, J, uh, Justin Lane there. I could absolutely see Bandy making it as a uh, ninth defensive back, plays uh, dime packages on special teams. One of the more interesting signings was Carlos Waitman of South Alabama. Carlos Waitman coming into the 2018 season was graded as a draftable player by scouts, which is unusual for uh, punters. He was supposed to be a graduate transfer and play last year uh, for Mississippi State, but something happened and he didn't kick last year. So if you go off the 2018 film and the 2018 grades, Carlos Waitman is a draftable punter that the Steelers got as an undrafted free agent. Now, I, I don't know if the Steelers are really looking for a punter to replace Jordan Berry, but the fact is this. Carlos Waitman at one point in time was highly considered in the scouting community. And because of what, what happened at the end of his South Alabama career and his Mississippi State career, which never came to fruition, he ends up as an undrafted free agent. So that, that is an interesting signing. That's it for the 134th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back soon to break down the NFC North for all of you out there. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.